You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this week's lesson, Neglect and Not Listening, Philip Edwards will explain why Jesus cursed a fig tree and why we must listen to God. Hope you enjoy today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can study our past modules, see our future modules and also the other ministries we have to offer. You can also follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. And now over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. Welcome to this, uh, our second week of the module uh, relating to prayer, where we're going to study the importance of it. Last week, we looked at the fact that uh, it's really one of the four main pillars of the Christian church. One of the things we should all be engaged in, and I would say probably every Christian is engaged in prayer, some uh, more extensively, others uh, not so much. Uh, so we looked at those, uh, the teaching about when the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. It must have been something special that they saw that Jesus was doing that they wanted to learn from him. And then we looked after the break at corporate prayer, how our private prayers that we do at home are different from corporate prayers when we gather together. We're going to look this evening in this first uh, lesson at the danger of neglecting prayer. The danger of neglecting prayer. Before we start, let us just pray and uh, thank God for his uh, promise to be with us and to assist us. Heavenly Father, we thank you as we open the scriptures again that you can reveal truth to us, you can reinforce it, and you can uh, strengthen us, Lord, as we determine to uh, give ourselves more, as it were, to prayer, to fellowshipping with you, to understanding you better, and to learning about you. Lord, we just commit this uh, time to you now, in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Amen. The danger, then, of neglecting prayer... I'm going to turn you to a passage of scripture. It's in uh, Mark chapter 11. It's the account of where Jesus is uh, staying at uh, a house in uh, Bethany. It's the week before uh, his crucifixion. And he journeys down uh, each day of the week down to Jerusalem. And uh, one particular day, uh, a whole series of events happen. And it's a a major teaching, really, on prayer. So that's where we are. It's found in, uh, I'll read it a little bit later. It's found in Mark chapter 11 and from verse 12 we'll be reading. The week that leads up to the crucifixion, the church has given it a name. Well, two names, actually. It's called the Holy Week or it's called the Passion Week. That isn't a biblical term. It's a name that was given it uh, by the church. In that week prior to his uh, crucifixion, Jesus was staying close by Jerusalem. He was staying at a a town called Bethany. And uh, each day they used to travel down. The first day of the week, of course, he travels uh, on a colt into Jerusalem. And that's when they all cry, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then each day he comes down into Jerusalem uh, and he carries out um, the things he needs to do. In the morning of the second day, uh, we find him journeying down to Jerusalem and uh, a strange thing happens to him. The first thing is on the day, he comes across a fig tree, desiring some fruit from it, but he doesn't get any fruit. So, and then he curses it, which is an odd thing to do. So the day didn't start well. You could consider this a a difficult day in the life of Jesus, like a hard day at the office, you know, one of those sorts of things. Anyway, he carries on, gets down to Jerusalem, and then uh, he ends up in this great furor uh, in in the temple with everyone, and he's driving people out and smashing things and breaking everything up. That didn't go too well either. And then after, he ends up, because there are 
literally thousands of people there. He starts preaching to the people that are there. I think they've quite enjoyed the fact that he's had this uh, situation in the outer courts of the temple and they listen to him and he preaches this sermon, a quite a stinging sermon actually. And so the authorities, uh, the Jewish authorities, it says from that minute they plan to kill him. And then we discover he goes back to, uh, goes back to Bethany where he was. Thinking, what a day. I mean, I don't think Jesus had every day like that, but that was quite a challenging day. He, he teaches a very stern lesson in this passage of Scripture. We'll sort of take it apart when we read it and take each part of it uh, very carefully. He teaches that a religious life without any real substance to it is unacceptable to God. We'll have a look at what this substance I'm talking about is, but you can imagine it has something to do with our prayer life. To have substance in our Christian life, it starts with our prayer life, in our fellowship and our relationship with God. Let's read this passage then together. I've given you a little bit of a, a background to it. It'll make more sense now as we read it or I read it to you. It's in uh, Mark chapter 11 and verse 12. The next day, it says, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple court. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and they began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city, back to Bethany, that is. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree from, uh, withered from the roots. Peter remembered this uh, and, said, and said to Jesus, Rabbi, Look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he has said will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. It appears, maybe if you read your Bible a little bit piecemeal, we've got two things here. We've got um, uh, the fig tree and Jesus cursing it and the result of it. And then in the middle of this story, he's put another story, which is uh, he goes into Jerusalem and drives all the things out of the temple, all the things that shouldn't be there. So if you just think for a minute, you go, well, I think possibly we've got something like a sandwich here. We've got two bits of bread, the first bit about the fig tree and the second bit about the fig tree. And in the middle, the, the filling, the bit that we always want to eat, uh, let alone the bread. Um, it's the story about him dealing with what's happening in the temple courts. So you cannot separate them or read it in isolation or study it in isolation. So we have a nice sandwich, uh, two bits of bread regarding the fig tree, and in the middle, uh, the filling of the whole thing. Let's then open up this uh, teaching it's about prayer, really. It's all about prayer, uh, especially at the end. We see it explains a lot about prayer, but it all goes into the whole story. 
The first piece then, the first piece of bread as it were, the bread underneath the sandwich, uh, the first story is he journeying with his, uh, the apostles really, we should call them apostles because they were more than just disciples. He's journeying from Bethany, that's where he's staying, possibly at the house of Lazarus and his sisters. Uh, he's staying there, it's about a 40 minute walk down to Jerusalem. I don't know how early it was in the morning that he set off, whether they had any breakfast or not, I don't know. Perhaps they had some breakfast and he didn't have enough. He was just like us, wasn't he? Anyway, he wanders down and he sees this uh, fig tree and uh, he says to himself, oh, I, f I fancy some fruit. Uh, so he goes to see if there's fruit on the tree. This is strange, this, uh, because he knows it's not the season for figs. Now, I don't know much about plants and gardening and things, but I know there are seasons when fruit is there and when you pick it and then it's not there. And uh, I know in some uh, places you have two seasons a year. I see, I know a little bit. Uh, I, I know in England we have uh, seasons when the apples are ready. We had a pear tree in our garden, so I always knew the pears came later in the year. See, I know a little bit, but I'm sure Jesus knew when, when the seasons were, things were ripe. So why did he go to the tree to look for figs anyway, if it wasn't the season? What a strange thing to do. And he goes to the tree and then he finds there's no figs on it. So he does another thing, he curses it. Now, he doesn't curse under his breath. Jesus wasn't into cursing. He spoke a curse over the tree, which seems a bit harsh because it wasn't the season for bearing figs anyway. Anyway, so that seems strange. Not only those two things are strange, there's a third thing strange. He says it loud enough so the tree could hear what he said. He also said it loud enough for the apostles to hear what he said. He wanted everyone to hear what was going on. So you think, hmm, I wonder if he was trying to teach them something. I'm sure the whole of his day with them, he was talking to them, explaining things. And if you watched him carefully, he would be teaching you things all the time. He cursed it with these words. May no one ever eat from you again. And then they move on to Jerusalem to carry on the rest of the day. So that's, that's one piece of bread. Now we come to the part in the middle of the filling of the thing. The people have turned the courtyard of the temple into a marketplace. Thousands, possibly tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people were visiting Jerusalem. They did for the three big feasts of the year. Some would say the population in uh, Jeru uh, Jerusalem at the time of Jesus would swell by a million people. I mean, they're estimating, I appreciate that. But what they're saying is lots of people that weren't normally were there. You made your way as a Jew, uh, all the men did anyway, to come and to uh, engage in the Passover. He goes into the temple court area and because he sees they turned it into a marketplace, like I've said, they are exchanging money because you're not allowed to spend uh, foreign money, as it were, in the temple. So it was quite a legitimate thing to do to change money, but they shouldn't have been doing it in the temple court. That's the whole point. We see them buying and selling cattle so they can offer them as sacrifices. Again, a legitimate thing to do because they, they wouldn't have brought the animals with them to sacrifice if they come some distance. They would have bought them and then they would have... So that was legitimate, but not in the temple court outside. And then because it was so many people there, I think there were lots of other people selling stuff. Like if you ever go to any big event, there's always people selling you stuff, isn't there? So other people had come into that temple court area, not just the legitimate ones, I would think anyway, and were selling. So Jesus is angry at what he sees. And he's angry because God is angry. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. And so he vents his anger, he turns over the tables. Now, as I thought about this, I thought he's not doing this on his own. He's not just one man doing this. He's got 
12 faithful guys with him, 12 young men. And I'm sure as soon as they saw him doing what he was doing, they entered in and did the same sort of thing. I, just in my imagination. So it wasn't just one person, Jesus, doing all this stuff. There were 13 guys just let loose, just turning the whole place upside down, driving out those that were selling animals and just, uh, they just caused so much upset and, well, it was chaotic before, it's even more chaotic now. And he doesn't let any other merchants come in. He's almost posts somebody at the door and says, you let no one else in to come and sell stuff in here. So all this happens. Like I said, there were possibly tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people there. And to some extent, they were enjoying this. The ordinary common Jewish person I don't think thought very much of the ruling Jewish authorities. They were burdensome to the people. A lot of people had turned away from worshipping the God because of this religious authority. It says you put heavy loads on the people's backs, but you don't help them at all. So a lot of the people, they were quite pleased at what Jesus was doing. They were enjoying that he was messing up the authorities' temple, as it were. Jesus is given an audience of thousands. They might have been cheering him. Yes, yes, you know. And so then he turns it into an opportunity to preach a message to the people. He might have been preaching to thousands of people that day. We're given two texts of his sermon this is encouraging for preachers, because we like texts, don't we? Well, Jesus had a couple of texts this day. One of them we know is Isaiah 56, verse 7. He says, My house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. You're going to see why this whole passage of Scripture we're looking at is all about prayer. That's what it's all about. The cursing of the fig tree, the cleansing of the temple, the explanation of the cursing of the fig tree... It all boils down to prayer. He is saying, this house that you are literally desecrating, is what he's saying, is a house of prayer. It's prayer is where you meet God. Now, symbolically, and also before Christ came and the Holy Spirit came, God dwelled in the temple. His presence was there. So when people came into the temple, it was to fellowship and to commune with their God. So prayer wasn't simply just praying to a God that was distant. They came to fellowship with God. This house, he says, is where the people are supposed to come and fellowship with their God. It is a house of prayer. Prayer is where we meet and fellowship with God. That's what it is. But he says, you have made it into a den of robbers. You have not only, uh, what did he mean by den of robbers? Who was stealing from who? He was saying, you religious people are stealing from God. That's who he's blaming. He said, because you have turned it into this marketplace where people can't now come and fellowship with their God. So you are robbing God of his people coming and worshipping him. The people could see such hypocrisy in the leaders. They loved what Jesus was saying. It says they were amazed at his teaching. We've heard that a few times, haven't we, in the scriptures as you look through it. They loved it. There was an anointing upon him that just thrilled them as they listened to him preach. But unfortunately, it says it angered the chief priests and the teachers of the law. It says they began looking for a way to kill him. It's amazing that they would have even thought like that. Why would they want to kill him? Was it because of self-interest or to defend their God? I'll put it to you, it was self-interest. It wasn't to defend God at all. That evening they returned to Bethany where they were staying. We come to the third part now where um, 
it's the, it's the top bit of bread on the sandwich, really, if you think about it in those terms. I'm making the most of this, and I sandwich thing, so you don't forget it's a sandwich, okay. Um, the next day, Jesus and the twelve came down the same road again. Um, they pass in the tree. The tree looked nothing like it looked yesterday on the journey down. It's, it's withering. It says here, it withers from the roots upwards. There's no life flowing into this tree. I'm sure as well as withered leaves, many leaves had fallen off because it had gone 24 hours with no life and it was just dry and nothing there. And Peter, oh, I love Peter, you know. Peter speaks up. You should speak up more, you know. Other people learn when you speak up. Peter was, he spoke up. He says, Rabbi, all excitedly, look, he says, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Surprise, surprise. It was obvious, as I said. The leaves were gone. Life no longer flowed up from the roots of the tree. Its source of life had been cut off. The tree, for us, symbolises what will happen in a prayerless, fruitless life. Just as the tree wasn't bearing fruit, if we neglect prayer, we don't bear much fruit either. We're fruitless. And he's saying, listen, if you don't bear fruit, my father's attitude towards you is I might cut the life source off so you can't bear fruit you can't anymore so he's looking for us to be prayerful and to be fruitful in our lives i want to stay with this peter fella a little bit longer um, peter is often the one isn't he who speaks up in many ways he he displays an honest clumsiness. He doesn't say anything silly. He doesn't say anything that you wouldn't say or the questions that you might ask. But it appears clumsy and unfortunately pastors have made a joke of him or made him the butt of a joke. As a young minister I did the same. Listening to others and looking to others I too would ha 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 make a joke of Peter. And, and until one day God said what do you think you're doing? How dare you? How dare you make fun publicly of my dear, dear, dear friend Peter? I felt really rebuked. I repented straight away, changed my attitude, changed my mind and thought, that's true. That's true. These characters that God has exposed for us in the scriptures with all their weaknesses and their wonderful parts to them, they're not there to be mocked. They're there to be appreciated. And for us to gain truth and understanding from maybe the mistakes they've made or the clumsy things that they have said. So I'm grateful now for Peter. I'm grateful for all his outspokenness. I did a little study on looking at all his outspokenness. We've learned a tremendous amount. Let me just point you in a direction to some of them. Remember when they're on the Sea of Galilee or Lake of Tiberias and uh, Someone's walking towards them on the water. Of course, it's, it's Jesus. And then Peter, he, he blurts out, remember, quite foolishly, really, when you think about it. It's like he, he didn't engage his brain before he spoke, like often some people do. Lord, he says, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. How, I mean, what a, what a crazy thing to do. It wasn't as though Jesus said, is anyone brave enough to come and walk towards me? It, there was none of that. It says, look, if it's you, I'm coming, I'm coming. So Jesus says, well, come on then. Come on, just don't sit there if you want to, come. Through his example, we've learned that we, ordinary people, can overcome any law of nature. Any, any law, any force that's out there, obviously with God's help and grace, we can overcome it. We wouldn't have known that unless Peter had done this. He made something very clear and obvious to you. And on another occasion, remember when um, 
Jesus is explaining that he must go to the cross and die. And of course, again, it's Peter who jumps in and says, oh, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Remember? It's like he was just expressing his thought and uh, who, I don't know if you fully understand what Jesus would do and the cross and all these things, but no, you'll never die. And of course, he's, he rebukes him for that. <laughs> it's in that passage, if you read through, where Jesus says, all of you, don't worry about me. All of you will have to take up your cross to follow me. We learned that. Very important lesson. Uh, just another one um, is when Peter complains. He's left all to follow Jesus. Remember the rich man comes and uh, he says, Lord, what must I you know, do? And I've kept all the laws. And then Jesus says, well, give all your money to the poor and then come follow me. And then they have this big dialogue about how rich people won't be able to get into heaven. And Peter says, well, if it's impossible for them, it's going to be impossible for us. And then Jesus says, with me, all things are possible. But by, by Peter blurting out these questions all the time, these challenging questions, Jesus clearly says there that my father is no man's debtor. He says, you will receive whatever you sacrifice here a hundredfold in this earth and more in heaven. And he also says, you will sit on thrones in heaven. It's at that point that Jesus teaches us all these things because of Peter's spokenness, his, his, his bluntness, his, his confusion often sometimes. Again from Peter's candidness here, we learn what Jesus wants to teach us from the practical demonstration. He wants to teach us about prayer. And he goes on in this passage to, uh, to bring us a lot of teaching. Let me just read from 20 again. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And it's then, at that point, he launches into this teaching on prayer. He says, have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. That means when he says, I tell you the truth, listen carefully. You're not going to believe what I'm going to say next. Okay, listen to the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says, it will happen. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. It's a whole teaching again on prayer. I just made a little list here. This is what he teaches. Genuine faith in your heart when you pray will bear fruit in your life. We must not accept forms of godliness relating to the temple now, but we want the real thing with God. Don't get trapped into religious things, church, churchianity, or church things. We have to do it. I understand we have to gather together in church, but be always mindful of what is genuine and real before God and what is just something that's been tagged on to, to make us somewhat religious. He says here, speak to the problem. I've met Christians that when you ask them to pray, they don't even open their mouths. I think they think their prayers, but we're supposed to speak them. Speak them, it says. Speak to the mountain. He spoke to the tree. So it's fine if you want to go speak to the tree. Uh, um, Prince Charles speaks to trees all the time, apparently. <laughs> but it's not that sort of speaking to the tree. It's speaking, it's speaking to the problem and saying, no, you need to be removed. You are a problem to me. Now, it gets, you have to hear yourself saying it, but you must say it because Jesus said it. Jesus didn't think about the tree and it withered. He spoke to it. He spoke so loudly to the tree that the tree heard and they heard exactly what he said. So why would Jesus go to all that extent if we can just think things or imagine things? No, no, speak. Speak to the problem. 
we must take authority when we see that things are wrong. He could have gone to the temple and thought, oh, this is disgraceful what they're doing here. It's such a shame. No, no, it's none of that nonsense. He said, no, I'm putting my foot down here. We're not having this. This is my father's house. He took action. Sometimes we're too passive as Christians, too nice. We have to take action when something is wrong. Speak out. You say, oh, what will the authorities think? What will these people think? Or those people think Jesus didn't give a monkey's excuse that expression. He didn't care what they thought. He cared what his father thought, and he knew what his father thought, and he displayed his father's anger towards the whole thing. We must believe, it says, and not doubt in our hearts. Not doubt. We must not let the church lose its mission. We must always have a broader vision. My house is a house of prayer for Israel? No. For Jerusalem? No. For the Jews? No. For the nations of the world? Sometimes our prayers never go beyond our immediate family or, uh, you know, just those that are close to us. Our prayers should go beyond that to our nation, to see a breakthrough in our nation, revival in our community, even for the world, he says. This is a house of prayer for the nations of the world. We must always walk, he says, in forgiveness. And we must take up the mandate to be fervent in prayer. A tree without fruit is like a religion that does not meet the people's needs. A tree without fruit is like a religion that does not meet the people's needs. A house of God without prayer is like a marketplace where people indulge themselves. They didn't go to the temple to meet God, they went to indulge themselves. The cursing of the fig tree was not a malicious act of destruction by Jesus. It wasn't that for one minute, but it was a dramatic way of teaching us vital truths. Truths about prayer, especially. In Luke and chapter 13, there's another little parable there about a fig tree, and I'll just finish up on this one. It's Luke 13, six to nine. It's called the parable of the fig tree. Verse six of Luke 13. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on the fig tree and haven't found any. The three years thing's a bit of a giveaway, isn't it? Because that's how long he was around for. So he was saying, I've come to where I expected to find fruit and there isn't any fruit. So it's easy to understand the point he's making, what he's driving at. I haven't found any. He says to the man who's responsible for the plants, cut it down. Why should it use up good soil? plant something else that will bear fruit, he's saying. Is he saying, let's plant some Gentiles here and see if they bear some fruit? I think he possibly is. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilise it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, then cut it down. He's willing, you see, to give us time. I said when I started this course, you will at the end of it think, I haven't prayed enough, I should pray more. <laughs> every message, every book I ever read about prayer, I always go away thinking, I need to do more about it. Even when I prepare these notes, I go, I must go and pray some more, I talk to myself as much as anyone else. I love this little one here, this little parable, because he says, give it another year. Just give it another year. I'll put some horse manure around it or whatever they used as fertiliser, I haven't got a clue. Uh, I'll, I'll try, I'll do my utmost.
to make it bear fruit. Well, we know the juice didn't bear fruit and the whole thing collapsed in a heap and uh, so on and so forth. But you know, God is prepared to give us a little bit more time. He's gracious. He is long-suffering. He is patient. So I don't want you to feel condemned about your lack of prayer or your shortness of prayer or how you haven't prayed perhaps correctly, all these things that the enemy will torment you over, thinking, all right, I've got another chance. I will now turn my life into a life of prayer. I will make this temple a temple for the nations where we meet God in prayer. Thank you. In this section, we're going to uh, consider the importance of listening to God. I've differentiated this from hearing what God is saying. Uh, listening to God is simply uh, having an attitude where we want to listen. If you don't think that God speaks today, then you wouldn't listen because you wouldn't listen to someone who doesn't speak. So first, if you believe that God speaks, then we have to adopt an attitude of listening. God wants us to listen. The scripture shows us that God speaks differently on, uh, in different ways on different occasions, and there are many ways in which he speaks but primarily, from our perspective, all we need to have is this attitude every day. I wonder if God is going to speak clearly to me, show me something. I want to hear what God wants to say. So we adopt an attitude of listening. It's very similar to the attitude of forgiving. We don't say, oh, I'll wait till something happens, then I'll make a decision of whether I want to forgive or not. That doesn't work for a Christian. We have an attitude, I will forgive. And that's just the end of it. When people, I heard someone say this week, I'll try and forgive. I go, no, that doesn't work. You don't try and forgive. You just have a forgiving attitude. It might be hard. I'm not saying it's easy. And emotions might play a big part in it. But having decided that forgiveness is the only way and there is no option, you have an attitude to do it. And so it comes easy. And so I'm going to say that we need a listening attitude. God speaks then in many ways. He shouts apparently at some people. I think he shouted at the Apostle Paul, don't you, when he was going to do all sorts of damage to the Christians. Uh, shouted so loud, poor guy fell off his horse and was blinded. I mean, so God can speak very, very loudly if and when he needs to. It says in Job 37.5, God's voice thunders, it says, in marvellous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. We say, God, that was so clearly God saying and doing something. We also know that he whispers. In 1 Kings 19, 12 and 13, it says this, after the earthquake, talking about Elijah, after the earthquake came the fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came the gentle whisper, Just the whisper, thunderous and whispering. There's a lovely story uh, in the Old Testament that reminds us that God even speaks to children. Twelve-year-old Samuel had been taken by his mother Hannah uh, to live in the service of the temple. We had some discussion when somebody was talking on this, uh, on the person of Hannah, uh, just the other week, and um, the discussion was how old was uh, Samuel when he was taken? Uh, it says after the mother weaned him, well, we would think maybe three or four, and then other people said, well, maybe it was five or seven. Well, I've opted for 12, because I think weaning means not simply uh, taking the child off the breast, but bringing the child up. So that, anyway, I think he was the age of uh, 12 years of age when he was taken to the prophet. 1 Samuel then, 3, uh, 8 and 10 says this. This is uh, already God has spoken to uh, the little boy twice, but he doesn't know it's God's voice. Why? Because he's not listening for God. He's only got one person to listen for, and that's Eli. 
So he automatically thinks it's Eli. He's not listening for God. The Lord called Samuel, this is a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. See, prior, he wasn't listening for God, so he would never have heard God. Although he heard something, he never attributed it to God. See, sometimes God is speaking, but you don't see that it's God, or you don't attribute it to God, so you don't get it that God is speaking to you. You could put it down to anything. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times. Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, your servant is listening. I'm now listening to God. He hasn't said anything, but I'm of the attitude of now listening to my God. He learned a very important lesson, I think, that night. Now, I want to take you on a journey, as it were, through the scriptures to impress on you the importance of listening to God and how all these key characters, before they said or did anything, God had to speak to them and they listened. In Genesis uh, 3 and 8, we start there with Adam and Eve. It says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. How did his walking make a noise? Was he in bodily form? Did God appear to Adam and Eve in bodily form and talk to them and walk with them? Apparently, when God moved, they heard him moving, so it would appear that he might have had a body. But, of course, they had sinned, and so they didn't want to meet God. And they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man. They were used to listening to God. They were created listeners. But since the fall, man has lost the ability to hear and therefore doesn't listen. Unless he comes back to Christ and he realises that's what Christ did. He opened up the channels of communication again. But we have to accommodate that by becoming listeners to God, wanting to hear what he has to say. Sin then had cut man off from God. He said, I want to talk to you. Adam, I've come to talk to you. In Genesis 12 and 1, we read about Abram. It says this, and it was direct speech, I believe. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. It must have been quite distinct, the voice of God. He didn't know perhaps what God to worship or to believe in, but if a God spoke to him, he was going to respond, and God spoke very clearly to Abraham. Without God speaking, we can never move in faith. Faith is believing that God has said something, and therefore we're acting on what he has said. If we never hear the voice of God, we can never move in faith. He has to speak for faith to be operative in our lives. We're responding to the word of God, to God's voice, to God's command. We're walking by faith because God has spoken. So Abraham, who was the father of faith, he heard the voice of God, he heard the command of God, and he responded to it, which was what faith is all about. Our next person, as we go through the scriptures, is Moses. Again, it was direct speech, but this time he spoke to him from a burning bush, remember. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. 
I am has sent me to you. It's when he speaks to us, we don't only hear the words that he's saying, but he reveals something of himself to us. His love, his care, his provision. It's as though speaking to him or him speaking to us, we get more than just the words or a sense of what he's saying. We have something of a comfort, a presence, a reassurance. There is a spiritual dynamic that reveals something of God to us. Then uh, I've moved on now to Joshua. Joshua 1, verses uh, 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. That's quite a, quite a sentence there. Um, he managed to cram Moses in it three times. He says, Moses, my servant is dead now. And then he talks to Joshua. It's as though I never spoke to you before, Joshua. I spoke to Moses, but now Moses is dead. And because I want to speak to the leader of my people, I now start speaking to you. He continually wanted to keep speaking to his people and definitely the people who had some significant part to play. The next three characters that I've got were three of the major prophets. Isaiah, of course. The Lord said to me, take a large scroll and write on it with an ordinary pen. Write down, he says, what I'm going to say to the people and say it to them. So the prophets became the spokesperson of God. God speaks directly to us now by his Holy Spirit. We don't see as many prophets perhaps in the Old Testament. I wouldn't say they've disappeared completely, but by and large, they are superseded in a very big way because God can speak directly into our hearts. But we still have prophets in the church today. Jeremiah, second of uh, one of the major prophets, says this in 7 and 1. This is the word that comes to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. We need to hear what God is saying. The people of God in those days, they needed to hear the voice of God. God wanted to speak to them. He wanted to communicate to them. He did it through his prophets, but it was almost the same as if he was speaking himself to the individual people. And again, in Ezekiel, another major prophet, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzai, uh, by the Kibar River, in the land of the Babylonians. When God speaks, he picks the time and place that he wants to speak to us and what he wants to speak about. So there's a, there's a difference between sensing what the Holy Spirit is saying to us and what God wants to speak directly to us. So God might send us in a new direction. Uh, he might point out something that needs to change. The Holy Spirit, he is also God, but he speaks almost continually to us. There's a slight difference between the two. We might not appreciate it. The last example I've got here is that of Solomon. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, Remember, Solomon was a young man. He was nervous about taking on the kingdom, as it were. David was a great king before him. The people really honoured him and loved him, and now he was very nervous. And he's saying, God, give me wisdom. And he says, because you've asked for that, I'll give you that. It doesn't seem that God said anything more to Solomon in his life. It went a long, long period of time before anything was ever said again. I wonder why that was. So, aside from these obvious, unique, historical characters, because that's who we got, we've got these massive biblical people, and God speaks to them. Well, you say, well, it's them, isn't it? Moses, Abraham, all these sort of people you're talking to me. You're not going to speak to me. I'm just, who am I? I'm nothing. You know, he might even speak to the church leader or this person or that person. Well, you've got to settle this in your mind. Does God speak to you? Does God speak to just 
ordinary people like us, or only big important characters and personalities? Are these examples that I've given you for normal, ordinary people like us? Does God intend to speak to us in the same way he spoke to these national leaders or prophets or great servants of God? I can't make your mind up for you. If you believe that God really does and he wants to, you'll dedicate yourself to listening. If not, then you won't. You just think, oh, I just crack on. If God's got something to say to me, he can make a point of it or push me in the direction and I won't bother. But that's our choice. That's how we live this life. I believe we live, we really live the Christian life only through God's regular speaking into our soul. When we don't hear the voice of God from one day to the next, we're starving ourselves. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Also, when we pray, he says, give us this day our daily bread. So let's put these two together. We need daily bread to eat. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the voice of God, God speaking to us. I would suggest to you that the spiritual life, we need to hear the voice of God on an ongoing basis, on a daily basis. <laughs> a lot of it is to do with how much you talk to God and then how much he talks to you. But as well as how much you talk to God is how much you listen to God. Many people, their prayer life is just full of them talking to God and not listening to what he has to say. Have you ever considered prayer just sitting silently and not saying a word? That'd be interesting. You just present yourself, sit down and say, well, here I am. Have you got anything to say to me? I've got a thousand things I could ask you for. We always do. Once you start, there's no stopping, is there? You go move on to this person, that person, this situation, that person. Especially if you're a caring person, there's no end to it. And you're thinking, oh, I've just done it all again. I've filled the whole space. Even if he was talking, he couldn't hear me because I'm busy talking. God indwelling his people through personal Presence and fellowship, I believe, is the normal Christian life. The indwelling of God personally inside of us is what makes this religion that we have so wonderful. If we haven't got this, we haven't got much... Well, you could say, well, we've got the truth. All right, I'll give you that. But it's like you haven't got anything more than any other religious person. If they're just trying to please God or... or, or offering him sacrifices or doing the best they can. Don't all the religions do that? So somehow we've got to have something where the God who we worship, serve and love, he personally presents himself within us to make Christianity better than anything else, really, apart from the fact that it's the truth and we believe the others aren't, but it needs to be better than the others. I believe that the major part of prayer is listening to God and letting him direct us. Now, some people talk a lot um, and some people don't say much at all. I don't know if this is the case. I'm a person who doesn't say much. Until I stand up here, then I never stop. Okay. But the idea is that I think because I don't speak a lot, it might be easier for me to listen a lot. But other people who talk a lot, they might struggle with you know, being able to say less and listen. Uh, I'm very grateful for people who talk a lot, especially at social events where you're thinking, oh, oh, good job he's here because I don't have to work at this at all. I just flow on this person's coattails and let them do all the talking. But uh, just bear in mind that their personalities sometimes lend us to something positive or negative in this Christian walk of ours. But we, we must all practice listening. We must. We believe we all need a heart that listens. We must believe this. 
And I believe that God has made it clear in his word. He wants us to listen to him. I'm going to turn you now to a New Testament passage of scripture. Matthew, Matthew 17. Come with me. This is where Jesus calls Peter, James and John and he takes them up a mountain. They probably think it's another prayer retreat with Jesus. They feel honoured to be invited because he's left all the others behind. But he was always doing this, wasn't he? Drawing these three, Peter, James and John, close to him many times in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right at the end he did the same sort of thing again. So he didn't seem to worry about that, did he? The others got the ump about it. He didn't seem to worry about that. He just got on and did that because he, uh, to whom much had been given, perhaps he expected much from them. And uh, anyway, whatever the reason. So he calls these three guys and he says, we're, we're going on a prayer retreat. Of course, it was always up a mountain or in the middle of a desert or somewhere like that with Jesus. It wasn't simple, you can imagine. So they, they climb up this mountain and then to their shock and horror, uh, God speaks and Jesus is filled with the glory of God so much that he glows, his clothes and his everything glows and they, they appreciate that Moses has appeared and uh, Elijah has appeared, that somehow we know that Moses died but God has brought him onto the scene. And Elijah, who never died but went up in the chariot, he's brought onto the scene. They're there to encourage Jesus just before the crucifixion, to inspire him, as it were, a great prophet and the greatest of all Jewish leaders, as it were. Let me read these five verses to you. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Listen to him. Peter, we've spoken about him already, haven't we? He's done it again, hasn't he? I mean, his clumsiness, I'm not going to say anything bad about him, I've learnt the lesson, but it's, it's just his outspokenness, it's, it's just so wonderful. Why did he say anything at all? Oh, come on, you're standing on a mountain and God is there and Jesus is there glowing and these two great saints from the past are in front of you and you know who they are and you would say something? Like, children should be seen and not heard. Just shut up, Peter, because he can't, could he? He couldn't do it. So he starts to suggest something. Lord, if you wish, he says, I'll put up three shelters here. Oh, why did he presume for one minute that the Lord would want a shelter on the top of a mountain, for heaven's sake? You wonder, really, did they? I mean, it's all right with us with hindsight. We can say, well, you just didn't get it, did you, Pete? Well, perhaps we wouldn't have got it either. We were so expecting a Messiah like a David, you know, a powerful leader, not someone who would come and die and then somehow rise from the dead and change us internally. Didn't get it. He's in the presence of the God of all creation. It's no time to speak, Peter. I love this. It sort of says, while he was still speaking. <laughs> it's like, 
God. The Lord God spoke, as it were, over his voice. He wasn't listening for one minute to Peter's nonsense, as it were. And a voice from the cloud said, none less than God himself was speaking. I'm sure he shut up immediately when God said something. Let's listen to what he told Peter, James and John to do. He says this, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And what are the last words? Listen to him. Shut up, Peter. Shh. And listen to him. See how important it is. We must listen. We must listen. You go, I don't know what to do. Listen. Set time aside to listen. Have an attitude. You don't have to sit for the rest of your life to hear the voice of God, but have this attitude, Lord, I'm listening, I'm listening all the time, I'm listening. It might come in a whole variety of ways, but I'm listening. Maybe in our times when we do pray, just set some of that time to listen. If you don't already, I'm sure some of you do, or most of you do. But we must set a time to listen. It's so difficult. It is, it's hard, because the mind races away all the time. I'm amazed at how many thoughts that pour through the mind. Millions probably a day pouring through your mind. So to sit down and to, to somehow bring it to a quiet space, it's going to take some practice and some dedication to do it. But we must, we must do it. Listen to what God might say to you. It might take some waiting. Remember when we studied Daniel and he prayed, remember? He knew it was time to leave uh, Babylon and they were going to go back and, and he, he said he prayed and he had this big repentive prayer. We've, we've looked at that. And as he's praying, he's, he's waiting for an answer to his prayer. And he waits 21 days, it says. The answer took ages. Fasting and waiting on God all that time. And then there's a revelation, isn't there, that the day he asked the question, God sent the answer. The moment he asked it, because there was this opposition in the heavenlies and the angel couldn't come through with the message until Michael came and released the and it all came through. Sometimes we have to wait patiently on God, not because he's just mean and making us hang on there there's reason there's good reason perhaps other things have to be moved into place but God's response to us is to speak but sometimes it just takes time how might God speak sometimes he just gives a clear word you just know you just know that was God, you just are certain, absolutely certain without a shadow of a doubt. It seems that Abraham, when God spoke to him, he was certain. There was no dialogue. He said to Sarah, or how do you say her name before it was Sarah? So, anyway, uh, he said, come pack your bags, get your stuff together, we're off, we're leaving. Where are we going? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't given that bit. We're off. And Moses, when God spoke to him, there was some resistance, wasn't there? He knew it was the voice of God, though. There was no question about it. So there's times when there's no question about it. He might give you an open vision or a dream. A dream, a vision, a dream. A vision is a, a dream is a vision when you're asleep and a vision is a vision when you're awake. But somehow you might be pondering something and you see this film it just plays out in front of you. It's almost in your mind, but you're awake and you know what's going on. A scripture. He might point you to a scripture to read. What he's saying to you is, I've already answered this one. You need to read the book because it's in there and I can't give you a different answer that's in the book, so read the book and you get the answer. He speaks that way. An angel might visit. That would be fun, wouldn't it? To entertain an angel. 
a revelation to uh, at another time as it were we we ask a question and we get on with life and then we know the answers come it was just oh I wasn't expecting you to speak then to just talk through somebody or a situation he speaks it could be at church if we have tongue and interpretation and prophecy that God speaks directly to us through the gifts of the spirit we might hear him in a song or a hymn that's sung the lyrics just strike up something. That's, that's what God wants to say. I found sometimes when I pray that God has already given me the vision or the answer to what I'm praying about previously in the day. And then as I ponder on that thing, I thought, you told me already the answer before I prayed what I was asking for. It's as though God makes preparation before. He's moved things into place. And you're asking him, and then he says, see, I knew what you were asking for before you even asked it, and I got the things ready for you. Silence is good. It's a good thing. It's that meditative life. Remember, we've spoken about this before. Solitude and silence and listening. In this busy, busy world of ours, even if it's not that busy, our minds are still busy with everything because we've programmed them to be like this. We're not hearing God, but he requires it of us that we be listeners. Listeners. That's not hearing God. That's just having the attitude to be good listeners in prayer. Thank you. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk if you would like to partner with us by making a secure online donation. You can also now follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.